Let's get into it. You ready to get into it? All right. Um, hey, I'd like to open today with a scripture from 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says this. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and vile, beyond the reach of change and decay. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, welcome back to church, everyone. So happy to see you. Glad that you braved the, the treacherous, treacherous rains on Foothill Boulevard today. Um, everyone that's joining us online, thank you for, for being safe in your own way, and uh, I hope that, um, hope that you guys are doing okay. Um, if you don't know me, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here at Highlands. Just really excited to be sharing with you today. If it is your first time here, a special welcome to you. We know that checking out a new church can be a little weird. Checking out a new church can be full of all the unknowns of what to wear, where to sit, all, well, you figured that out so far, but uh, when to stand, all these different moments. There's all these things that come along with checking out a new church, and so I just, kudos to you. Thanks for taking a chance on us. I hope that while you're here, it feels like home. If for some reason it doesn't feel like home, then let us know, because we'd like to be able to connect you to a church that does, okay? All right, so I'd like to get right into it today. Um, if you're taking notes, I, I want to call this message, The War is Over. The war is over. What does this mean, you might ask? Sounds ominous today. Well, let me explain. As I was preparing for what I wanted to share with you today, I was brought back to this really significant faith moment I had a few years ago where I felt like God was, was really trying to get my attention. And I know it might sound weird to some, um, but it's true, and it was really obvious. And this, this type of thing has only happened to me a, a handful of times I want it to happen all the time, uh, but it seems like God reserves these moments of clarity for when I need them the most. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced something like this, but it was somehow equal parts confusion, discomfort, and, and curiosity. I was on my way to work at the time, ex exhausted because my kids weren't sleeping. Not much has changed from that. Um, but I was on my way to church. I felt this prompting, this kind of unexplainable prompting. And in, and. And keep in mind, I was in the car, so I only had a few options in this moment. I could stop, I could listen, or I could keep on driving and ignore it. Now, luckily, I, I came up at a, at a red light, and I'm, I'm, I've never felt so lucky to be stuck by a red light, but there I was. And so I stopped, I took out my phone, and I started just taking all of these notes down for what I felt God was trying to, to say to me. And, and I know that, again, this is a touchy subject for some, um, the Christian confession is that we believe God speaks, we believe God moves, and God is active in and around us, but when it actually happens, it can feel kind of wild to walk through, and even wilder to know if it's real. But anyway, I'm taking these notes, and in the end, from that moment in the car, to fast forward all the way up to this morning, I, I believe that God was leading me into a very specific direction to address a very specific issue or problem. I believe God was saying, David, I need you to tell the church what I really feel about them. I need you to tell the church what I truly believe about them. 
And, and even though it might seem like a small revelation to some of you, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you're like, I, I know this stuff, what's the big deal? I actually think this lack of clarity, this lack of clarity of understanding of how God truly sees us is probably the greatest cause of failure in the church today and maybe for all of humanity. Because it affects us, it affects all of us at some point or another, it affects us at the core of who we are, it affects our identity and it affects our purpose and causes us to see life and our faith and even one another through kind of broken lenses. Living in the dark to who we are and the truth of how God sees us. And this reality, it does something kind of funny for us. And I don't know if you've ever been here, but it, it, it somehow makes us simultaneously really cocky and arrogant, but also like really insecure and uncertain, which, which is totally bizarre in our human experience. But this is how I've seen it play out, where we think we're capable of doing anything independent of God. We're capable of doing anything independent of God or anyone else, while other times we believe deeply that we're just trash, that we're garbage, unable to do anything or, or, or deserve anything because of a failure in our past. And it's, it's kind of like a flip of the coin situationally or circumstantially day to day, which position on this massively distorted swing we can find ourselves in. And I don't know all of your stories, but I know some, and I know you're thinking, yep, yep. It's this feedback loop that many of us live in, whether we like it or not, which is why I believe that God spoke. God spoke to me in that moment in the car to get my attention because he cares about you. He cares about your life, he, he, and he wants you to know what's true. God wants you to know what he thinks and feels and believes about you and everything. And I mean, everything hinges on and is dependent on this truth of who God says you are. So all that said, with the rest of our time, I want to tell you what God thinks about you today. And I want to tell you the truth. And it's my hope that we'd all come to a fuller understanding of our true identity because of Christ, and that we claim what God says is true and what God says is possible, that we live, like we just heard in 1 Peter, that we live with great expectation of the life that he wants most for us. Amen? All right, well, if you have your Bibles, follow me quickly to Romans chapter 5. That's going to be our primary place we'll be looking to today. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. This is written by a guy named Saul guy named Paul, written to uh, the church in Rome, Italy. This is why it's called Romans. Just a little context. Um, you know, we have to remember as we read this, anytime we read Paul, the writer, was at one point, he was a really terrible guy. He was just a terrible person, and, and, and from the church's perspective, he was an enemy, okay? Why? Well, for a lot of years, Paul, the guy, he, he went out of his way to persecute the church and kill as many Christians as he could before he had this divine encounter with the Lord, this moment where God spoke to him on the road to Damascus. So the guy had a past, and so when he writes this, when he's writing Romans to this church, and, and for us as a reminder, you have to remember this message is personal to him. This message is personal. He's absolutely preaching to himself. And so this is the passage starting in verse 6 of Romans 5. He said, friends, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Let me say that one more time. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came 
at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people wouldn't be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Verse 9, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, it's only been the blood, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. And this is so good. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Verse 11, this is it. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. From enemy to friend. From enemy to friend. Now, I picked this passage because I would say over the past couple of years, you wouldn't believe how many times I've heard or had conversations with, with folks about this assumption that God is mad at them. That God is mad or that God puts up with them, or, or, or God is angry with them and leaves them. It leaves them this anxious and insecure perspective in their relationship. Anxious and insecure, like there's this war being waged, and they're the enemy. They are God's enemy. And it's wild, because most of the folks I've talked to about this, they really love the Lord. They love God. These people, they believe and they are saved by the grace of God. They have these cool stories of how God met them in their mess, in their lowest moment, and brought them into a new future, death to life. They have this, and now they're here. Now they're in this moment of newness, and they're trying to follow Jesus, but for any number of reasons, they just hit setback after setback after setback. And it leaves them feeling like they aren't good enough. It leaves them feeling... Like, they're not good enough, or even worse, like, God is on some covert mission scouring for evidence to kick them out of the family. And, and, and so they're always looking over their shoulder. They're always second-guessing, always assuming, so like, kind of superstitiously, that all their earthly problems are a direct punishment from God for sin. Like, like you get in a car accident, it's because you lied to your boss, or, you know, you come down with the flu, it's because you cheated on your taxes. Any, anyone ever connect your situation to sin as some divine behavioral correction? I've, I, have, I have fallen down that rabbit trail more than once. I think if we look hard enough, we can even find some scripture to support it, that God is this angry cop in the sky. We're the burglar, and he's always looking to put us away. And even though God loves us and saved us for later for heaven, today our failure makes us villains. Our failure makes us enemies in God's story. And, and listen, it's this, it's this eye-for-an-eye eye distortion from crack lenses that becomes what so many of us believe to be true in our relationship with God. It's eye-for-an-eye. Eye. It's tooth-for-a-tooth, where our sin makes us forever helpless, forever helpless and unqualified to grow in our connection with Jesus. And so we, you know, we try to do our best, and then we try, and then we fail, and then, and then we try, and we do the right thing, but then we try, and we fail over and over to make amends for all the mess that we've done so God won't be mad at us. But listen, as logical as this might sound in our culture today, 
as logical and rational as this perspective might sound to the world, I need you to understand that this is a lie and the greatest lie the enemy has ever told. And this lie is an insult to the cross of Jesus. Which is why we see um, from God through Paul in Romans five, uh, chapter 5 that he says that if you're saved by grace through faith, if you have been adopted into God's forever family, his extended family, Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that the war is over. It's done. You are no longer enemies of God. No, you are family and you are friend. Yes, at one point you were enemies. Absolutely. At one point, the things that you did created a separation between you and God. At one point, the failures of your past created this vast chasm between you and the creator that loved you. But now, like we just sang, by the blood of Jesus, you have been reconciled. So now when God sees you at all times, I need you to hear this, when God sees you at all times, he sees you through the perfect lens of love. Verse 11 says, he sees you as a friend. Because of grace, because of the work of Christ, God now and forever sees you as friend. And this is your reality. This is now the reality that you occupy. Not how you feel in a moment or what you think you deserve because of what you've done. Romans 5 says, Romans 5 says, says this reality is what's true. You are a friend of God in the good times and in the bad times. And there's nothing you can do about it because you did nothing to earn it. It was done for you. Paul's saying the war is over, so stop fighting. Stop treating your salvation like a ceasefire, like, like you somehow managed to make a truce with God because that is not that is not what happened. Verse 6 says, God came to you when you were utterly helpless. God came to you and, 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 and met you in your mess. And, and I love this imagery, especially as a dad, because I, I love my kids so much, and you've seen them, six and eight, and still so utterly helpless at times to contribute in ways that support the family beyond hugs and I love yous, okay? Now, they are so wonderful, but often utterly helpless. Like, like for example, the past six months, our house has been under construction. We had some uh, water damage um, from the last round of storms in February, and our roof leaked, and it, and it like, destroyed parts of our house. And, and so it meant a bunch of drywall had to be replaced and ripped out, and it's been a whole thing. But this past week, we finally got it all fixed. Praise the Lord, right? Right, just in time for more rain. And... And we got it all fixed, drywall's done, paint's done, new floors everywhere, it's like Christmas miracle. But, but now we had to put things back, okay? Because we had to empty the house basically into the garage and all these places and now we had to put everything back. And so I gave the kids some projects. Mom and I, we will take care of just about everything but you need to put your rooms back together. That's it, put your clothes away, put your toys where they belong. Anyone wanna guess how that went? It didn't. Five minutes in, right? I start hearing, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm bored. I want to watch a show. I want to do something else. And I'm hearing this all the while I'm trying to move our, like, 500-pound record collection across the house 
that was hiding in the garage back under the shelf, you know? And so I'm just thinking, come on, but listen, the reality is that, that while they might have some basic understanding about what drawer to put their clothes in, they were incapable of moving the dresser. They were incapable of repositioning their bed in this season. And even though they were capable of moving things around, they, they've never been shown where to put stuff, not, not to mention how to help me haul all these, all these records that we had laying around. Are you following me? There's literally nothing that they could do to clean things up in the house, to make things right in our home. And so it was up to me. And that's exactly what we see in Romans chapter 5. God came to you. God came to me. God came to us, not as a cop or a prison guard, but as a good dad. When we were utterly helpless, when there was nothing we could do to make things right or contribute to the house, God came to us and he fell on the sword to end the war. Verse 8 says, God sacrificed himself to make peace while we were still trying to fight because of his great love for us. And now verse nine, this is so good, it says, and now because of what he did, this has nothing to do with us, because of what he did when we were utterly helpless, we have been made right in God's sight. We have been made right today, tomorrow, the next, and forever, and we have been welcomed into his house by the blood of the lamb. Because of what God did, we have been made righteous in God's sight. And I pay attention to that, that last part because this is where I think we tend to get hung up. This is where we get stuck because when we hear that we have been made right or righteous in God's eyes, in God's sight, it sounds perfect. It sounds incredible, but for some reason, this grace that we have received, this unearned affection, can be so challenging for us to internalize and to receive. And, and maybe it's just that we, it seems too good to be true, Maybe we don't think we need it. Maybe we don't think we deserve it. I don't know. But for so many of us, we take that grace and we stuff it in our back pocket as a get-out-of-jail-free card, and then we get back to work trying to win God's favor again. It's crazy, right? Basing our value and worth on our, how independently righteous we can be, all the while ignoring what was eternally true. Ignoring what God actually says about us. It is ridiculous. We can be so dumb. And yet we keep on doing it. But again, I think we do this for most of us because it's the only lens we've ever looked through. It's the only way that we've ever seen and made sense of the world. Old habits can die hard, and so we get saved. Our past is forgiven. As far as the east from the west, east and the west, the war is over, and now we're friends with God. We've been given fresh vision, fresh hope, fresh identity, and it's great. And now we're here with eyes wide open, but we don't always recognize what we see. Sometimes it's hard to focus. This new life we've been given, it's like a foreign country with new language and, and new culture and new expectations and norms, and there's a bit of a learning curve where we don't immediately know how to process how to be free. We don't immediately know how to process grace and love and, and mercy. We don't know how to instantly focus on a future that's independent or free from chains and guilt and shame and limitations. Because salvation is here, peace is here, the war is over, and we're grateful. But for most of us, civilian life in the kingdom of God 
can still be a bit of an adjustment. It reminds me of an article that I read, a very grown-up article. You'd be proud of me. Um, but anyway, it, it said that the same day that peace was signed in World War I, over 11,000 soldiers from both sides were still killed. Now, after peace was signed to end World War II, it said that there was still a battle that went on for two weeks between the Allies and the Nazis. Now, why? It's because even after the message was sent, even after the message was received that the war was over, it takes time for us as human beings to shift our hearts and minds from seeing the enemy as a friend. Peace is an adjustment. Peace is an adjustment, and that's okay, it makes sense. The problem isn't, isn't progress towards peace, it's prejudice against. When, when people return from war, believing till they die that the enemy is still the enemy, and that's the danger, friends, that I see creeping into the church, that we don't always, we don't always believe that the enemy, that we are now the friend. We don't believe peace has actually come for good, and so we keep on fighting. Fighting to impress God, fighting to be enough, fighting to make our own way, when in reality we're fighting a war that's already over. But instead of moving forward into peace, taking steps of faith into this great unknown with God for some deeply human reason, we tend to live in the predictable, in the familiar, the demilitarized zone of life where we never find ourselves surprised or disappointed. In a time and place and in a mindset, only moments from our former battles, just in case the grace runs out and God decides to change his mind, just in case God digs extra deep and discovers something he somehow missed that limits his love, and then the war is back on again and again. But, but it's so insecure. It's also disconnected from the good news that we confess to be true. Peace might be an adjustment, but at some point we need to wake up to this reality that we're the only ones fighting because the war is over. God won it for us. And that's why this passage from verses 9 through 11 are so absolutely paramount to our understanding of truth and faith when Paul says that since we have been made right in God's sight, by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. And this is it. Once we were utterly helpless, once we were enemies of God, absolutely, but that was then. That was then. This is now. Now, outside of anything we could contribute, because of the work of Christ, we are friends of God. Once we were enemies, but now, now we're friends. Now we are family forever. And, and this is our present and eternal truth, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you think. If you are a Christian, then you have been reconciled back to God, period, once and for all. God has declared that the war is over. God has declared that you are not who you once were. We have been rescued from the war, and now he's calling us to move out of the trenches and off the battlefield, but not for some average life. Not for some average life with realistic expectations. No, God is pulling us 
and calling us and saving us into his marvelous light, this marvelous friendship with him. And this is the gospel that we confess to be true. Like it or not, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, God believes in you and God loves you and wants so much more with you and for you. And, and, and even if you're still in a season of adjustment, even if you're still learning to, to, to look through perfect lenses, the creator of the universe and savior of the world sees you as a friend. And the only space between you, this relationship, the only thing between you will always only ever be from here to heaven, peace, because the war is over. Now, as, as we close today, I, we see this, uh-oh. Just a flood warning? That's all. I'm glad I'm up here. You guys are down there, you're stuck. <laughs> fine. Ah, we'll all just camp here tonight. Okay. As we close, I, we see this in verse 11. And this really hits it home. It says, so in, in light of it all, this fresh new perspective we've been given, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ made us friends of God. Our Lord Jesus, the Prince of Peace, died to do what we never could. And, and, and if he did that for us while we were still enemies, this is where I want to leave you today. If he did all of that while you were still his enemy, just imagine what he wants to do for you and with you now that you're friends. Just imagine for a second the future that God dreams for you and wants to lead you to now that you're fighting on the same side. God has massive dreams for your life. He wants to use you for absolutely incredible things right where you are. And like we heard in our opening scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1, God wants us to live by his grace with great expectation. Great expectation of our priceless inheritance, which is beyond the reach of change, or circumstance, or sin. Did you catch that? This change from enemy to friend is beyond, beyond the reach of change. It is beyond the reach of circumstance. It is beyond the reach of sin. This great expectation. But for that to happen, for us to live into this great expectation, you actually need to believe the things God says about you that he is with you and he is for you and he sees you as friend, not foe, that his grace is sufficient for heaven, amen, but it's also sufficient for today. And that his mercy extends beyond your ability or inability to receive it. His blood makes us new every morning and blameless before the Father. And this is now, if you're, if you're a Christian, this is now your truth. And I, and I get, again, this is, the shift can be a hard one to make. It can be so hard for us to believe that God would actually do anything for us. And yet this is the word that God is speaking over us from Romans chapter five, a word of identity, 
a word of purpose that he wants to plant into our souls this morning to grow our faith and our belief. So again, as we close, it, it's, it's God's hope and it's my prayer that we begin to see things with fresh eyes through his perfect lens of love, that we'd be able to let go of lies, let go of the past of who we think we are and believe maybe for the first time what God really feels about us, what he thinks about us, that once we were an enemy, separated from him by our evil thoughts and actions, but because of God's infinite love for you and for the world, now he calls us friend. Now he calls us family. And this is the invitation that we would live with great expectation, knowing that the war is over from here to heaven, and now we're fighting on the right side. So I want to pray for you. I just want to pray that, that, that this would be a moment of remembering. Maybe you've been a Christian your whole life. You know, maybe you're not a Christian yet, and this is like, whoa, this, what? God loves me? And so this is a moment that we can all internalize and settle into this reality. And so I just want to pray for you. If you have any questions, let's talk about it afterwards. But um, let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the work you did. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the great expectation that we now have because, our, because of the inheritance that you are protecting for us in eternity. God, we thank you for the encouragement that, that we are no longer who we once were. God, that our old life is dead and gone and you have a new life filled with hope and joy and future and purpose and significance. God, we're just so grateful that we aren't who we once were. We're so grateful that you love us and that the enemy that, I, that we were is now friend, God, that the war is over once and for all. And you're calling us out of the trenches, off the battlefield, and into your marvelous light. And so, God, we love you and we thank you for that. We, we just ask that this would sink into our hearts and souls today, that we'd no longer believe we're good enough without you or no longer think that we're trash um, or, or garbage because of our past, God, but that we would lean heavily into this new identity that we have that we are your people, we are your friends, we are your kids, and we're your family. That we are no longer your enemy. So we stop, we have to stop thinking that way. And so God, we love you and we thank you. We're just so encouraged by, by the love that you have for us, God. So just keep this fresh in our hearts and minds over the course of this week, that we might be different, we might live different, and we might see the world through a new lens. So God, thank you for today, and it's in your name that we pray, and we all said, amen, amen. Hey, thanks for coming to church, everyone. Enjoy the, the random uh, phone sirens that are gonna be going off all day, okay? Um, stay safe. If you need anything between now and when the rains are gone, let us know, okay? Everyone good? All right, see you later.